What if every experience, every hardship, every obstacle was given to you, not to break you, but to mold you and strengthen you? What if the center of your suffering was actually the key to ultimate health? And what if your own pain was meant to be the catalyst for your greatest purpose? Welcome to Buddha Belly Life, empowering purpose, mind to microbiome. Welcome to the Buddha Belly Life podcast. Uh, This month, we are going to be featuring author, psychologist, speaker, and professor Emeritus? Emeritus? Emeritus. Emeritus. I literally practiced that a hundred times. This is Dr. Brant Courtright, PhD. He's going to be here discussing the topic of functional psychology and its impact on the brain and all of the brain's functions and disorders. Dr. Courtright brings an impressive level of knowledge that's going to help us all better understand the brain and really powerful hope for mental health and brain-related dysfunction. Welcome, Dr. Brant. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I, I, I want you to be able to give so much wit. When I'm excited, you guys, about um, Dr. Brandt here, you know, to talk indirectly, um, I have been reading his book, uh, Functional Psychology. And I will say it has been a long time since I've been able to delve into something that has sparked my brain, ironically, that has gotten those wheels turning, that has fed it something um, more complex, newer, given better insight. I'm obsessed with the brain-gut connection. Everyone knows that's my my specialty area. Um, and you've done. A, he's done a brilliant job in this book. It's just full. You can nerd out on it all day long, and it's very, very empowering in the same. So, Dr. Brandt, will you share with us a little bit about your journey, how you got into um, this area of study? instead of just, you know, typical psychology. And then maybe you can under- explain to us a little bit about what functional psychology actually is. Okay, sure. So I've been trained as a psychologist and taught psychology at graduate school for over 30 years, um, have a private practice. And, you know, there's a, there's a split in psychiatry and psychology. So take depression, for example. Um, Psychiatrists and medical people think that depression is a brain disease, which requires lifelong medication, antidepressants. Psychologists, where I've been trained and spent most of my life, um, believe that actually depression is a result of unskillful behavior. And that unskillful behavior leads us in certain directions, which makes us feel depressed, and that depression then creates the brain changes we see. So which comes first, the brain changes or the unskillful behavior? It's a chicken or egg sort of thing. And for most of my professional life, I was on the psychology side. I thought, well, 90% of it is unskillful behavior, maybe 10% is brain stuff. Well, the past... Oh, eight or 10 years, as I have delved more into the brain, I've begun to see it's actually a chicken and egg thing. It's both, right? We are psychophysical beings, or better, psychospiritual physical beings, or even better, body, heart, mind, spirit, right? We exist on these different vibrational levels. But we have a psyche. And we have a body, we have a brain, a physical dimension. 
And I began to see that neither one can really be reduced to the other. So what I found, a number of things sort of led me in this direction. Um, for one thing, I, I began to see that some of my most fragile clients and most fragile students were vegans. That made me start noticing, what's this thing around diet? And as I started to explore diet more and more, I began to see that actually the brain has some common underlying neural mechanisms behind anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline. There are very different psychological processes involved, however. But what I found is that as the brain began to heal, mostly through diet, exercise, sleep, other things, but mostly diet, as the brain began to heal and to get stronger, people's symptoms began to go away. Sometimes this happens with just therapy. Sometimes this happens with just diet. Ideally, we can work on both levels together. But I was surprised at the number of people for whom just changing their diet and strengthening their brain and healing their brain, all their symptoms disappeared. Mm -hmm. So that got me really interested in the brain. And the first thing that got me interested in, the first thing that caught my attention was something called neurogenesis. Right? So we've known about neuroplasticity for many decades. Neuroplasticity is the brain making new connections among existing uh, neurons, also called synaptogenesis. But in the last 15, 20 years, they've discovered that neurogenesis also occurs, which is the brain making new brain cells. Right? So up until, again, 15, 20 years ago, they thought that the brain stopped growing in our early 20s, and then it was just a slow die-off after that. And then they realized, actually, no, the brain makes new brain cells throughout our entire lifetime, something called neurogenesis, the genesis or the birth of new neurons. Well, it turns out there's a lot of things in our environment that slow down neurogenesis and synaptogenesis, slow down what's called our neurogenic rate. And it turns out our neurogenic rate is the most important biomarker for brain health that most people have never heard of. So they did one experiment with mice. What they did was they increased their neurogenic rate by five times. And when they did that, they created not quite super mice, but almost. They created mice that were cognitively enhanced. They were smarter, they learned faster, they figured things out faster, and they were very emotionally robust. They were protected against stress, anxiety, and depression. So this has now been taken into um, work with humans, and what's been discovered is that antidepressants, for example, SSRIs, Right There's this whole theory, which is a great marketing theory, um, that people who are depressed have low serotonin levels. 
And what SSRIs like Prozac and other things do is they boost the serotonin levels. Well, it turns out most of the research shows that people who are depressed have normal serotonin levels. Some research shows they actually have higher than normal serotonin levels. Some show lower, but most show average. And when you start taking Prozac or another SSRI, your serotonin levels go up immediately. But it takes four to six weeks for the antidepressant effect to kick in. Well, it turns out there are many things that increase the neurogenic rate. And one of them is if you increase certain neurotransmitters like serotonin. Mm -hmm. So serotonin boosts your neurogenic rate. And it takes four to six weeks for these new brain cells to mature and get integrated into the existing circuitry. And that's when the antidepressant effect kicks in. Wow. So it's a myth. The serotonin deficiency theory is a complete myth. It's a brilliant marketing mm -hmm. uh, strategy because it's so simple to understand, mm -hmm. but it's simply not true. The pharmaceutical companies also know that it's not true. Mm. They are looking to find drugs that will boost the neurogenic rate. And when they find them, we'll hear nonstop advertisements about them. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out there are about 30 or 40 different foods and nutrients that also powerfully boost our neurogenic rate and have a profound both antidepressant but also an anti-anxiety effect as well as a cognitive enhancing effect. So... That that really got me into all this, and I've then been really applying this to, <laughs> to psychology, <laughs> um, because, again, there are different psychological mechanisms behind anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline. So functional medicine is the use of diet and nutrition rather than just drugs to heal people. Mm -hmm. So functional psychology is bringing the principles of functional psychology, of diet and nutrition, into psychology and, bring, and uniting it together with psychology. Do you have a desire for fulfillment? Does helping people tap into their own health mentally, emotionally, and physically fire you up? Do you believe in the impact of the gut microbiome on overall wellness? You may be an HWCA coach. For more info on our cutting-edge health coach trainings, visit hwcacoach.com. Obviously, in the holistic health arena, we I talk all the time about functional medicine. So when we're dealing with people and their gut issues, anything, right? I mean, us health coaches, our, our scope of practice is, is small but mighty, is how I like to say, because we have all these restrictions. We're not, you know, doctors, we're not, you know, RDs, we're not all these things. But sometimes I'd argue that we have some of the highest impact with people um, because of our education and our connections to things like you're talking about, because we're seeking and talking to people, professionals like yourself who are getting this information because our goal is to seek root causation. We support functional medicine. And so I talk about functional medicine a lot because it's, hey, root cause medicine. You're going through health issues or things or maintenance or whatever um, to see a functional medicine practitioner because they are somebody who's going to say, hey, 
what's the deepest level we can get to? If they're good and they have integrity and they have the time, that's going to be what they do with you. Um, and that is where we see the best efficacy. So what you're saying is it's a very similar, you've taken that functional understanding of the human and you've utilized it and combined it with psychology to get to the root cause or synergy, I guess you could say, of the brain and how we function. Exactly right. Exactly right. And in the book, Functional Psychology for Anxiety, Depression, and Cognitive Decline, I talk about the four pillars of the healthy brain diet, which is neurogenic, ketogenic, or low-carb, anti-inflammatory, and gut-friendly. Those four pillars, I think, make for a healthy brain. And it's amazing the kind of brain weakness or the unhealthy brain that almost everybody in the society has because there are so many neurotoxins in the environment. If you look up Wikipedia, you look up the word neurotoxins, you'll come to 200 pages of lists Mm-hmm. with 30 neurotoxins on each page, each with its own page. That's 6,000 neurotoxins that are in the environment that have never been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these we know about and have known about for some time, um, that they are toxic to the brain, such as mercury, lead, arsenic. But some of these things are really quite new And we're only now really discovering how powerful an effect they have on the brain. Things like plastics, microplastics. Everybody has tons of microplastics that they are inhaling, that are are everywhere. They're in the North Pole. Mm -hmm. These are powerful endocrine disruptors. There are forever chemicals, which like Teflon, which virtually everybody has. There is glyphosate. Right, which is mm-hmm. the active ingredient in Roundup, mm-hmm. the most widely used herbicide in the world. 300 million pounds of it every year just in the United States, heavily used in China, India, Brazil. What glyphosate is, is it's an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. And so it wipes out the microbiome, and you know, and your listeners know, that's a disaster in itself. But it also opens up the tight junctions of the gut. And the tight junctions are what keeps out the bad stuff and lets in the good stuff. And so when those tight junctions open up, all sorts of toxins come flooding into the gut. We get leaky gut, which creates inflammation, which we know is behind most major chronic illnesses, cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease, you name it. It turns out that the tight junctions of the blood-brain barrier also operate according to the same molecular signals. And so when the tight junctions of the gut open up, the tight junctions of the blood-brain barrier also open up, letting in toxins into the brain, creating inflammation, oxidation, which drastically slows down the neurogenic rate. Um, One more, smog. Most people live, 90% of the world lives in unhealthy air. The really tiny 2.5 micron particles and smaller enter into the lungs, enter into the bloodstream, and also cross the blood-brain barrier, where they act like little wrecking balls in the brain, creating inflammation, 
again, oxidation, and also slowing down the neurogenic rate. So there are all of these, you know, UCSF did a study a few years ago and found out that 92% of Americans have measurable levels of glyphosate in their system. That means virtually everybody in America has some degree of leaky gut and leaky brain, which means a slowed down neurogenic rate and greater susceptibility to anxiety, depression, brain fog, cognitive decline, um, as well as other things. So, Well, and I just, not to interrupt you there, but I want to reiterate what you just said for everybody. So they've done studies that have shown that people are walking around with a measurable degree of glyphosate in their system, which, like you said before, is an antibiotic, which just to specify, I know sometimes people need to hear this a couple of times, antibiotic basically means against life. So against what are the, what is the life going on in our bodies? It's the bacteria, it's the, you know, the microbes that we need for all of our functions. We are literally, we know the consequences of taking antibiotics, but now we are consuming antibiotics and they are found in our system on a measurable level almost consistently. Yeah, that's right. And so some parts of the country, like the Midwest and the South, they use so much of it. It's in the air. It's in the dust. It's, it's in the rainfall. You can't get away from it. If people ate purely organic food, they would reduce 80 to 85 to 90% of the glyphosate and the pesticides. So if there's one takeaway from today, it should be eat organically whenever possible. But again, glyphosate is everywhere. They use it even just to desiccate wheat. And when they harvest wheat, it's in... Which that flies under the radar too, because people, they like to leave that one out because that's used at the end of the wheat growing cycle. So they think, oh, we don't use it on wheat much. No, they use it at the end of the cycle. Yeah, right. Um, Conventional meat, the cattle are just filled with glyphosate feed. Um, you're getting huge amounts of antibiotics if you don't eat grass-fed or pastured, you know, beef, chicken, wild-caught fish. Um, it's it's a it's a neurotoxic minefield out there, and to avoid it, to avoid stepping into some of these big minefields, and to really walk safely takes a certain amount of just understanding of of some of the dangers out there. And so that's what this book tries to do is to try to illuminate some of those and to find ways in which we can actually then begin to heal and strengthen the brain. That's amazing. Thank you for giving us that understanding. Um, I know that was brief for you because I did read that each chapter could be a book in itself. And I, after getting into the details of what you put in there, there's no, um, drawn out verbiage as a as a writer myself you you used no space fillers every single word in that book is meaty and i can tell that you are condensing your vast area of knowledge thank you Thank you for joining us for another empowering episode of Buddha Belly Life. For more information on gut health and mindset resources visit buddabellylife.com and remember heal yourself and then empower others to do the same.